This is an audio recording of the introductory essay to John Owen's The Death of Death and the Death of Christ by J.I. Packer, permission granted by Banner of Truth Trust. The Death of Death and the Death of Christ is a polemical work designed to show, among other things, that the doctrine of universal redemption is unscriptural and destructive of the gospel. There are many, therefore, to whom it is not likely to be of interest. Those who see no need for doctrinal exactness and have no time for theological debates which show up divisions between so-called evangelicals may well regret its appearance. Some may find the very sound of Owen's thesis so shocking that they will refuse to read his book at all. So passionate a thing is prejudice, and so proud are we of our theological shibboleths. But it is hoped that this reprint will find itself readers of a different spirit. There are signs today of a new upsurge of interest in the theology of the Bible, a new readiness to test traditions, to search the scriptures, and to think through the faith. It is to those who share this readiness that Owen's treatise is offered, in the belief that it will help us in one of the most urgent tasks facing evangelical Christendom today, the recovery of the gospel. This last remark may cause some raising of eyebrows, but it seems to be warranted by the facts. There is no doubt that evangelicalism today is in a state of perplexity and unsettlement. In such matters as the practice of evangelism, the teaching of holiness, the building up of local church life, the pastor's dealing with souls, and the exercise of discipline, there is evidence of widespread dissatisfaction with things as they are, and of equally widespread uncertainty as to the road ahead. This is a complex phenomenon to which many factors have contributed. But if we go to the root of the matter, we shall find that these perplexities are all ultimately due to our having lost our grip on the biblical gospel. Without realizing it, we have during the past century bartered that gospel for a substitute product which, though it looks similar enough in points of detail, is as a whole a decidedly different thing. Hence our troubles. For the substitute product does not answer the ends for which the authentic gospel has in past days proved itself so mighty. The new gospel conspicuously fails to produce deep reverence, deep repentance, deep humility, a spirit of worship, a concern for the church. Why? We would suggest that the reason lies in its own character and content. It fails to make men God, centered in their thoughts and God feared in their hearts because this is not primarily what it is trying to do. One way of stating the difference between it and the old gospel is to say that it is too exclusively concerned to be helpful to man, to bring peace, comfort, happiness, satisfaction, and too little concern to glorify God. The old gospel was helpful too, more so, indeed, than is the new. But, begin parentheses, so to speak, in parentheses, incidentally, for its first concern was always to give glory to God. It was always and essentially a proclamation of divine sovereignty and mercy and judgment, a summons to bow down and worship the mighty Lord on whom man depends for all good, both in nature and in grace. Its center of reference was unambiguously God. But in the new gospel, the center of reference is man. This is just to say that the old gospel was religious in a way that the new gospel is not. Whereas the chief aim of the old was to teach men to worship God, the concern of the new seems limited to making them feel better. 
The subject of the old gospel was God and His ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help God gives him. There is a world of difference. The whole perspective and emphasis of gospel preaching has changed. From this change of interest has sprung a change of content, for the new gospel has in effect reformulated the biblical message in the supposed interests of helpfulness. Accordingly, the themes of man's natural inability to believe, of God's free election being the ultimate cause of salvation, and of Christ dying specifically for his sheep are not preached. These doctrines, it would be said, are not helpful. They would drive sinners to despair by suggesting to them that it is not in their own power to be saved through Christ. Begin parenthesis. The possibility that such despair might be salutary is not considered. It is taken for granted that it cannot be because it is so shattering to our self-esteem. In parenthesis. However this may be, begin parenthesis, and we shall say more about it later, in parenthesis, the result of these omissions is that part of the biblical gospel is now preached as if it were the whole of that gospel, and a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Thus we appeal to men as if they all had the ability to receive Christ at any time. We speak of His redeeming work as if He had done no more by dying than make it possible for us to save ourselves by believing. We speak of God's love as if it were no more than a general willingness to receive any who will turn and trust. And we depict the Father and the Son not as sovereignly active in drawing sinners to themselves, but as waiting in quiet impotence at the door of our hearts for us to let them in. It is undeniable that this is how we preach. Perhaps this is what we really believe. But it needs to be said with emphasis that this set of twisted half-truths is something other than the biblical gospel. The Bible is against us when we preach in this way, and the fact that such preaching has become almost standard practice among us only shows how urgent it is that we should review this matter. To recover the old, authentic biblical gospel and to bring our preaching and practice back into line with it is perhaps our most pressing present need, and it is at this point that Owen's treatise on redemption can give us help.